Hey, good morning, family. Joshua Diggs here. I'm so glad to see you as we worship Jesus. We're now going to take a minute to pass the peace. Every week we do this. It's a moment just to bless people who are with us, but not physically with us. And so I'm going to invite you to take your peace passer, also known as your phone, or maybe you want to type something on your computer there. That's fine. But what we're going to do, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Text, call, send a carrier pigeon, whatever you want to do. Say, God bless you, or grace and peace to you, if you remember last week's message. But bless someone Tell them you're thinking about them, you're praying for them. Just be a blessing. You got 60 seconds, and then we'll be right back. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of our gathering. Did they do a good job, church? I tell you, it is so nice to be a part of a body that although scattered across the city, we are united together in Jesus and the miracle of technology. So again, good morning. We're in a series called Finding Joy, and it's a look at this very brief but very powerful letter from the Apostle Paul while in prison to his favorite church, the church in Philippi. And last week, if you remember when we gathered, we talked about how he started it off with grace 
and peace, that we all need grace, we all need peace. And he says, God wants to give you grace and peace, as we talked about that. But now, but now, he, he begins to transition from this general statement, and he goes into, well, I think one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture ever. It's a prayer. And I was thinking about prayers because this past week, I, uh, I was tucking our son in, Stephen. He's nine years old. And at night, our family rhythm is one of us will tuck in one kid, the other will tuck in the other, and then we sort of swap for a quick kiss on the forehead. And so it was my night to tuck Stephen in. And uh, the way we do it is I'll, I'll come in, I'll lay down on his bed, and I'll just sort of lay there and we'll talk for a couple minutes about life. And he's real smart because he knows that if he can ask certain questions, I'll be there in a lot longer. But this particular night, uh, we were just talking and I said, hey, I want to pray for you. And I pray for my son and daughter every night, but, but I just, I wanted to pray. And so I prayed a special blessing over him. And it was cool because after it was over, he paused and he said, wow, daddy, I knew that you loved me, but I didn't know how much you loved me until you said what you said in that prayer that you asked God for this particular boy and that you wanted me. And wow. And it just sort of struck me how sometimes when we say prayers and when we share those prayers, there's this great blessing in it that it's not just words coming out of our mouths, but it's words from our heart going to God, the one who created all things, the Father of creation, and His Holy Spirit that is in us speaking to God on our behalf and interceding and and interpreting. It's this beautiful moment when we pray. And I was thinking then about this week, about all the different prayers that people have prayed for me and how their prayers did not simply bless my life, but they directed the way that my life has now gone. I think about a lady who was just a dear friend and a a mama figure to me for so many years, Miss Ann Lever. I tell you about her all the time, but she was just a giant in the faith and how she prayed from, you know, when I was just a little dude that I would grow up to be a minister. And and to my knowledge, she's the only person who specifically prayed that for me. And God answered her prayers in some very unique ways. And I just think about how prayer is such a beautiful gift. In fact, church, you may want to write this down. Prayer is perhaps the most important gift you can give someone. And you say, well, what about salvation? Well, see, I don't give someone salvation. I can tell them about Jesus. You can't give salvation. You can tell people about Jesus. But we can pray for people. You have the ability to go before the King of Kings and say, Father, on behalf of my friend, would you please act? Would you respond? It is perhaps the greatest gift you can give anyone. And so Paul, he begins with prayer. And I love this because he, he does what we believe here, that prayer is our first response, never our last resort. That we begin with prayer. We don't end with it when things have fallen apart. Now, hey, pray then too, but we start with prayer. And so I love this, that Paul begins his letter after the the greeting of grace and peace. He then says, I just want to tell you how I pray for you. And did you notice what he said here? He begins, he's like, oh, I thank my God every time I remember you. And I pray for you all the time. And he starts telling us about the kinds of prayers that he prays. And I think it's so appropriate that he begins his letter to this church in Philippi with prayer because... His relationship with the church in Philippi began with prayer as well. We don't have time to go back and read it. Go ahead and look at it maybe later this week or in your uh, house church today or this week. But you can look at their story back in Acts chapter 16. And here's sort of the setup. Paul, the apostle of God, he has been traveling around the known world, going from place to place, teaching people about Jesus and starting churches. So he's making disciples, 
planting churches. And he goes to the next place, make disciples, plant churches. Well, he and his traveling companions come to a particular place called Troas, and and they're really wanting to continue sailing west. They want to go to what is now modern-day Spain, but they keep running into all sorts of issues, and they just can't get through. In fact, Scripture says that the Holy Spirit of God prevented them from where they wanted to go. And so they're kind of frustrated by this, so they begin to pray about it. And one night, God gives Paul a vision of a man in the city in this place called Macedonia, and this man is saying, come over here and help us. God gives him a vision for what is to come because Paul was praying. And so Paul and his companions, they go to Philippi. Now, I don't know about you, but if God showed up to me and said, Joshua, here's where I want you to go, what I want you to do, I would have great confidence. I would think, yes, doors open. It's going to be easy. It's going to be great. I'm going to have easy sailing. And you can almost imagine that may be what Paul was thinking But what's interesting, instead of all these great open doors, the only open door Paul found in Philippi was the open door of a jail cell. He had begun preaching and teaching. He'd had one convert, a woman named Lydia. He then had this little interaction where he, uh, there was this demon-possessed slave girl. It's a wild story. You really need to read it. But this demon-possessed slave girl who could tell the future, he casts out the demons. Her master gets mad. He is thrown into prison. He's beaten And and here's the thing I thought about. I don't know about you, but in the middle of that first beating, I probably would be thinking to myself, you know, I think I may have misunderstood the voice of God because this is not easy. But here's something else you need to know, church. To be obedient to God, often it is not easy and sometimes it's very painful, but it is always productive. To obey God is not always easy, but it is always productive. And so Paul, he's, he's arrested, he's beaten, he's thrown into this Philippian jail In fact, the jailer is a pretty brutal guy because not only is Paul thrown in jail, he's thrown into the innermost jail and he's put in stocks. Now, stocks are basically where you put your feet in, but they crane the legs. So one stock is over here, one stock is over here. So his legs are stretched. It's very uncomfortable. Legs cramping. But what he does is amazing. We're told in Acts chapter 16 that he and his traveling companion, a guy named Silas, are there in the jail cell and they are with bloodied backs praying and singing praises to God. And all of the other prisoners are listening into this. They're inviting God into their pain. They're inviting God into their prison. I don't know, maybe you feel like you're in prison right now because of the stay-at-home order, or maybe because of what's going on with your work, or maybe you don't have work anymore, or whatever. You feel a lot of pain. But it's amazing to me that in their pain and in their prison, they're praising God. And they're praising God, and they're praying to God. And what is so cool is because they invite God into the space and because you cannot hold the infinite God in a, in a small little space, God's presence blows the doors off of that jail cell. And then this jailer wakes up, we're told, and the jailer seeing that all the doors are open, he freaks out because in their world, you as the warden were responsible for, your, for all the, the, uh, the prisoners. And if any one of them escaped, you would die. So we're told he pulls out his sword. He's about to kill himself. And Paul cries out, stop, don't hurt yourself. We are all here. They're all here. Now, you know, sometimes we run over these little details. But let me tell you why that one's so incredible. Is because you've got all these guys who are hardened criminals. And yet after only a few hours with Paul in prison, they don't go anywhere. And you wouldn't either. Think about it. We go through a little earthquake. And what do we want to do? We want to find someone who knows Jesus. And that's what they did. They stuck around. Paul says, no one's left. 
Don't kill yourself. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? He's most certainly bargaining for his life, trying to say, what do I need to do so I don't die? And Paul, well, he's the quintessential preacher. So he starts in, he's like, great question. Let me tell you about how to save your soul, not just your physical life. And he tells him about Jesus. He says, repent, believe in the name of Jesus. You will be saved. And that very night, the jailer and his whole family were baptized into Christ. The church in Philippi began because of a prayer. And it happened there in a prison. And now, some months or years later, we don't know really how long, we come to this letter in to the Philippians, but Paul is no longer in Philippi. Rather, he's most likely in a prison in Rome. And it is here that he begins to think about their kindness and their love. And I was thinking about, what do you say to a group of people when you pray? Because what is so cool to me, notice what it says here in verse 3. He says, I thank my God. Notice one thing. Prayer is always personal. It is always personal. Your prayer life is a personal thing. But notice he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. So he's now starting to describe the kind of prayers he has. In other words, his prayer life is always personal, but it is not always private. One of the best things you can do is to pray openly in front of other people. What would it look like if we were a church that prayed not only for people, but with people? That you today, you called someone or you with your children, with your spouse, you prayed and they got to hear your voice to God. It may not be eloquent. Look, you don't need to be Shakespeare to preach good things about your spouse to God or about your kids to God. You simply need to say, dear God, thank you. And I just want to show you for a couple minutes here real quick. I want to show you what Paul prays. Because Paul begins with prayer. And what he does is he says, let me show you what I pray for. And there's two things. Paul prays celebration and elevation. When he's focusing on praying for someone, he focuses on celebration and elevation. Look at what it says here, verse 3 and following. He says, I thank God. My God, every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I love that. He's not selective. He loves the whole church. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. What partnership? That word there is koinonia, partnership, koinonia. It has a lot of different meanings, but in this particular usage, it is referring to financial partnership because Paul, as a prisoner, would not have been fed by the Roman guards. If you are a prisoner... You were not fed by the jail system. You were rather dependent on the love and the generosity of people outside of jail bringing you food. And so they, in Philippi, this small little poor church sent Paul food, help, and he's like, my goodness, I thank God every time I remember you with joy because of our partnership. This help that you're giving, he says, your partnership in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, from the first day until right now, and I love this, being confident of this, that he, talking about God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So notice what he's doing. He is celebrating who they are in Christ. He's celebrating what they are doing, that they are not simply people who receive the goodness of God, but they are people who give the goodness of God back, that they love Paul. They care for Paul. They're concerned for Paul. And Paul says, I celebrate this about you. Hey, quick question. The people in your lives, what could you celebrate to God about them? 
What is it about your spouse that you say, God, thank you. I see these good things in her. She is like Jesus in this way and in that way. What about your children? What if you bragged to God in front of them? In other words, what if you talked to God and you said, my son, my daughter, my kids, they are, they are such good boys, good girls. They love you. They, they're committed to growing in the faith. I see them ex- living out their, li- their faith in the way that they live and speak. What would it look like for you to celebrate those you pray for? I think one of the things that's often missing in my prayer life is celebrating others. And yet I read this and I see Paul, he was fluent in the language of celebration. What would it look like for us to be fluent in the language of celebration? Now, one of the things that my wife does that I think is just really cool, a couple weeks ago she began this, and and this is just simple practice. With our kids, every morning at breakfast, uh, she made, well, I call them prayer sickles. She calls them uh, prayer sticks, but basically it's just popsicle sticks. And every morning there's there's a name on each one, and every morning our children and my wife and I will each randomly take a stick, and we'll pray for the name on that stick. These are members of our family, an extended family. And so this is for Papa, Lindsay's grandfather. And so we would pray. And then, and then we would then text that person or call that person and say, I love you, I'm thinking about you, and I'm praying for you today. What would it look like for us to be a church that you could not go a week without someone reaching out to you or you reaching out and saying, I love you and I'm praying for you and this is what I'm praying for. Let's get good at celebrating in our prayers for one another. The second thing, though, he celebrates, and then he also elevates. He says, look, I'm so thankful to God for all that I'm seeing in you. And then he says, I love you deeply, all of you. You are great, great, great. But then he says, let me tell you what I'm going to be praying for you now. See, good prayers celebrate the good and then elevate people's eyes to God. Good prayers celebrate the good, but then help people elevate their eyes to God. He says, let me elevate your sight. He says this in verse 9, and this is my prayer for you. Notice that your love may abound, meaning grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Now, this is huge. First thing he prays for to... Praise for them and elevating is the idea that I want your love to grow. And the way it grows is through knowledge and insight. These are separate things. Knowledge is what you know. It's information. It's it's, it's details. it's, It's facts. Insight is wisdom. It's the proper application of knowledge. He says, I want you to grow in your love and that your love would be lived out. And the way it is is through knowledge and wisdom. Listen to me. Loving people is not simply about what you feel. It is what you do. Love is a verb. And he says, my prayer is that your love would continue to be lived out practically, just as you've cared for me in this way by bringing me food so I don't starve. I want you to live out love for one another and that you would grow in your knowledge and your depth of understanding and insight, that God would give you clarity. And he says it's for a very specific purpose that he does this. It's not selfish. It's significance. Notice this. He says that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that, so that you may be able to discern or be able to perceive what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now notice how big his prayer is for them. 
Yes, does Paul want them to have what they need? Absolutely. Does Paul care for their physical needs? Absolutely. We're going to see that later in this book. But what Paul does in his prayer, he celebrates the good in them and then he elevates their eyes to the God who is above them, who loves them and is around them. And he wants them to have a bigger vision for their prayer life. He says, I'm praying that you would grow knowledge and wisdom so that you would know how to live well in a way that is best, that is good, that is ethical, that is moral, that is celebrates who God is in your life. I pray that for you, and I pray that you would then be able to live a life that is pure. What would it look like to live a completely pure life? Pure thoughts, pure words, pure actions. Man, I want this. He's praying, God, make them who you have always dreamed of them being. Let them live pure lives and blameless. And it's for and unto the day of Jesus' return. He is always praying with the return of Jesus in sight. And so he says, this is what I'm praying for. And that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. By the way, if you want a great passage, go with me over later to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Paul, writing to another church there, says, Hey, the fruit of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, the evidence that God lives in you is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's saying, listen, church, I'm praying that God would give you what you need and fill you up where you are this fruitful life, the evidence of His presence in you. And it is all, notice this, it's not just so that you'll have a good life. It's not just so your neighbors will go, wow, you're a great person. It's not just so you'll feel good about yourself. He says, it is to the glory and praise of God. Great prayers celebrate the good and elevate our eyes to God. Great prayers celebrate the good and elevate our eyes to God. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I go, yes! And then I go, oh no, I can't do this. I really want to be this kind of person. I want to be blameless, but then my eyes look someplace they shouldn't. Or my mouth says something it shouldn't. Or, or my anger wells up, or my frustration, or hey, I'm locked down in a house and I don't want to be, and I'm restless, and... and I don't know how, and I I love that Paul never says it's about what you do. Rather, let's go back to where it all began. He says in verse 6, and this is so important. Remember, he begins with prayer, and now he's coming back to it. He says, For I am convinced that he, the he here is God, he who began the good work in you. How did God begin the good work? Was it because of how great the Philippians were? No. No, one of the guys who started the church was a jailer torturing Paul. Uh, One of the original church members was most likely a formerly demon-possessed slave girl. It's not because they were so good. Rather, it was by God's grace. Remember, grace and peace. It's because of God's grace that the church knew Christ came to salvation, and now we're newly created in Him. Remember, Paul was praying, and God gave Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here, for I'm convinced that he who began the good work in you. Listen, church, if you are in Christ Jesus today, it is because of the grace of God. He began that work in you. And I just want you to know with absolute certainty that God loves you and he began something. But Paul doesn't just want you to know that God starts good things. God never, God hear me now, God never fails to finish a project. 
For I'm convinced, I'm absolutely assured, that he who began a good work in you will, what? Look at this. Carry it on to completion. You need to know that God's not done yet. Yeah, we're, we're going to celebrate the good. I'm so grateful for the way God is working in your life, and I'm so proud of you. Praise God for you. But God's not done yet. And in those moments where you go, man, the prayer is greater than my ability. Thank God that prayers can be bigger than our ability, for God is not done yet. Listen, great prayers, great prayers. And I'm going to ask you to start practicing this kind of a prayer today. Great prayers. Focus and celebrate the good and elevate our eyes to God. Well, again, we love you. Thank you for joining us this morning. There's going to be some next steps on screen here in a moment because we want, no matter if you're at home or wherever you may be, every one of us has a next step. And so we're going to invite you to take a look at that. Share with your house church today or this week what next step you're taking and take time to pray with some people around you. Remember, great prayers, celebrate the good, and elevate our eyes to God. May God bless you this week. Grace and peace go with God. Thank you.